morning, Goldendale, and hello to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Throop, here on another terrific Tuesday, friends. Torch Report 333, Frank Church and the Family Jewels. Today, we're going to continue talking about how the Hegelian dialectic has directly shaped Americans' perspective for decades. And... I find it fascinating. I'm actually getting this out just a little bit late today, friends. It's been a trip down the rabbit hole and only a a fraction of what I've learned am I going to be able to spit out here in a 20-minute podcast. But lots and lots of links in today's report if you want to dig a little bit deeper. Oh, man. I mean, it is. It's it's fascinating. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible uh, how everything ties together. One thing leads to another, goes the, the old saying. And of course, we've all heard it before. You know, it it always rings true. One thing leads to another. I mean, transient time, everything's, you know, flowing forward and all this kind of stuff. It's an obvious truth and it's it's directly observable. It requires no special understanding to grasp the cycles and the seasons. And yet this simple phrase, one thing leads to another, holds secrets of its own. While researching this report this morning, I was immersing myself in the Hegelian dialectics. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, to be honest. Hegelian, uh, Hegel, Hegelian, I don't know. Anyway, as I was noting yesterday, this is a method of thinking. It's a tool that's been used for hundreds of years uh, since the you know mid-1800s. At any rate, the systematic destruction of American culture has been achieved using this dialectic dismantling of our once shared values. And those who understand the dialectical process, which are by and large a bunch of commies and the progressives, they've been trained and studied and steeped in this. They have a great advantage over the average citizen who is none the wiser to how it works. Hence the need to immerse myself and learn. And of course, being here now sharing what I've learned with you, friends. Again, the torch report is the truth you can trust. I'm not asking you to take my word for anything. I just want to share this research so you can get into it and and learn. So while I was studying the ABCs of this process, uh, the the, uh, dialectical process, the Hegelian dialectics, uh, dialectic materialism, etc., there's this whole thesis antithesis or antithesis synthesis framework. So somebody has an idea, this is the way we should do things. And then somebody else says, no, I think this is the way we should do things. And if they talk about it, then, you know, they're going to kind of synthesize and come to some kind of uh, solution that supersedes both of those. And this leads to sublation, which is the, it, it catalyzes a progressive shift, an incremental shift in perspective. And that gives rise to cultural revolution. The the real insight there was that uh, by Hegel was that this is an ongoing process. And he kind of thought about it like the, uh, like a DNA spiral, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but it's always ascending out of each thesis and antithesis and the synthesis of those ideas comes a new idea. It's a new thesis. And at any rate, as I was digging into this, holy smokes, I stumbled onto some crazy revelations. Indeed, my friends, without expecting it, it was like a, a, a surprise, a surprise. It was Pandora. Box. The study of dialectics led me directly to eugenics, 
which is depopulation, <laughs> deep state shenanigans influencing the media and psyops and all that, and the commie cabal. The commies are taking over the world. And all of this came to light after just a few cups of coffee. So before we dive in here, I want to just kind of briefly sketch out the connections. As I was digging in, first thing, you know, I learned is Hegel is falsely credited with creating the dialectic process. That's not, he, he didn't create that. It turns out Johann Gottlieb Fitch uh, was the originator of this whole thesis, antithesis, synthesis model. And Gottlieb was known to be a Freemason. He was also the father of German nationalism, which, you know, AKA Nazism, fascism, and or the third way. Those terms we'll come back to in a minute. Another dot to be connected here, kind of sketch out the framework, is that because dialectics pits opposites against each other, in order to you know transcend toward new understanding and new truths, the third way is often considered a centrist political position. It takes the best of the left and right, or so it goes, so the story goes. And this new political synthesis has been dubbed communitarianism. It's kind of like a, a merging of communism and libertarianism, but communitarianism. And communitarianism, come to find out, explicitly aims to exploit dissatisfaction and crises. And it does this to create radical social change. Now, Digging into this strategy, the third point here, which, uh, of course, sounds remarkably similar to communism, of course, you know, exploiting dissatisfaction to create social change. But it led directly to Julian Huxley and his plan for global education via, quote, the delicate task of helping people become dissatisfied. How interesting, you know, the delicate task of <laughs> of helping people become dissatisfied. Wow. You know, this guy, Julian Huxley, was the first national director of the the UN's, the UNESCO, Educational Social Cultural Organization. And he was also a founding member of the World Wildlife Fund. These are radical environmentalists who are into eugenics. And he was also the president of the British Eugenics Society. So digging in here, again, dialectics uh, led to the third way, communitarianism which led directly to Huxley's plan for global education via the delicate task of helping people become dissatisfied. He's going to educate them and socialize them and, and develop this cultural dissatisfaction. Okay, why? Because he's a eugenicist. He wants to de you know, depopulate the planet so we don't destroy all the wildlife, all this stuff. Now, fourth point here in the framework is that it's both shocking slash not surprising Shocking and not surprising at the same time that UNESCO was originally organized and ran by a radical environmentalist who was an outright eugenicist. Recall that the eugenicist principles, not just the British Eugenic Society, but the American Eugenic Society, these guys were critical in Hitler's Nazism. Uh, nationalism, national, uh, but anyway, all the talk about nationalism 
and it was stemmed in or steeped in, I should say, in eugenics. At, you know, we got to get rid of all these Jews, eugenics. And then eugenics kind of went underground because of what Hitler did. But nevertheless, when uh, Huxley was the first director general of UNESCO in 1946, he wrote a report, UNESCO, its purpose and philosophy. And he stated explicitly that the world is in the process of becoming one and UNESCO exists to assist in the speedy and satisfactory realization of this process, period, end quote. Radical environmentalist, eugenicist, working for the speedy and satisfactory realization of a new world order. Now, fifth point here in the framework, friends, along with the proliferation of mass communication and propaganda, which is really what UNESCO is all about. Since the inception of UNESCO, they've worked closely with other UN bodies, such as the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization. And the FAO is serving to help this emergence of a single world culture. That's their words, not mine. So they're helping the emergence of a single world culture by controlling the food supply to create behavioral change. And I'm going, wow, I'm reading this stuff this morning. My head's exploding. You know, all of this should sound strangely familiar. It should raise some disturbing concerns. And I just want to work backwards a little bit here to connect the dots because Turns out this lady, uh, this chick, you know, Catherine Bertini, she was the executive director of the World Food Program who works very close with the FAO. And when talking about controlling the food supply with a bunch of global commies over in Beijing, she said the quiet part out loud. She said, yes, it's bribery, you know, withholding the food supply or whatever, controlling the food supply. But we don't apologize for that. We are changing behavior, and that's all that counts. The ends justify the means, friends. She says each small change in behavior will one day pay off in a change in attitude. End quote. And that change in attitude, that behavioral change, that's necessary for the new world order, for people to accept a great global inescapable socialist surveillance state. And, of course, we've been talking a lot about this. And about how changing language changes perceptions, perspectives change, you know, this leads to behavioral change. And this is how psychological warfare works. And they've known that for a really long time. This is why censorship is such a big deal, right? If they can control the flow of information, that makes it, you know, they can only accelerate that behavioral change. And it's the reason that weaponized AI is such a critical threat to humanity. What's fascinating here, friends, is is that in just a few quick searches, we found the eugenicists, the globalists, and the communists collaborating on mass communication campaigns and global propaganda and controlling the food supply to take over, take control of the world. You know, I, the commies are taking over the world. I mean, you can't, I can't even, it's just, it's crazy to me. Now, Let's pull in the family jewels. <laughs> Let's pull in the family jewels. I know some of what don't get your head out of the gutter. Now, the family jewels are a treasure trove of deep state documents. Okay, the family jewels prove just how integrated our intelligence agencies have been in this whole process of dialectical transformation. Now, when I say the family jewels, I'm referring to the the now, what are they, uh, 
when it's classified, the declassified information, there's like 702 pages of declassified CIA FBI documents that show that our deep state has been infiltrating the media, spying on journalists, uh, using unethical psychological manipulation and all of that kind of stuff. The Twitter files have nothing on the family jewels. Let me put it that way. I mean, we're talking Operation Mockingbird. We're talking MK Ultra. We're talking a myriad other revelations about the CIA and the NSA and the FBI and the IRS exposed in this 1975 uh, investigations. It was held by the church committee and then that was later released as the family jewels. That's I didn't make those words up, but lots of links there in the report today, friends. You could you if you haven't heard or you you know, you always thought, "Ah, you know, Operation Mockingbird, MKUltra. This is all weird conspiracy tinfoil hat stuff. No. Friends, the link there, if you were to click on it, it's going to go to a CIA.gov website and you can read it for yourself. Now, Frank Forrester Church III was a Democrat senator out of Idaho, and he headed this committee, the church committee, and he was warning, you know, after all the things that came to light, all these documents that came to light about what the deep state was doing, he was warning Americans about crossing the abyss into a total surveillance state, saying basically once you've done that, you've got total tyranny and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think it's very ironic that it was a Democrat senator that was making that warning about the tyranny of a total surveillance state, especially given the current Democrat support for state censorship. Oh my gosh, you know, free speech is is a free-for-all hellscape and all that kind of stuff. So uh, of course, you know, anyone who's been keeping track of all the deep state shenanigans, you know, we've already realized that eh, we long crossed that threshold into full-blown state tyranny. OK, but still, I think that Senator Church's warning serves as a timeless reminder of why, of why it's so dangerous to have an all powerful, powerful, inescapable surveillance state. So I did put a link to the video there. It's about a four minute clip of Senator Frank Church explaining the threats of the surveillance state. Friends, if you are listening on a podcast platform, please know that you have to go to thetorchreport.com to get all the goodies. It's free. You can go there, check it out, but you can see all the links and you could check out this cool video. And I think you should if you haven't already, because this is exactly what we're facing with, we are being faced with right now. What we're staring in the face is this is this total tyranny, this inescapable surveillance state. And I've been talking, making a lot of historical references to the warnings, like the warnings of Dr. Merlou and the warnings of Dr. Scott and, and others. But we've been warned about what was coming and here it is and now we have to deal with it so through this series of unexpected connections that i uncovered this morning for myself and my own study i'm like whoa you know i find that the the hegelian dialected method of i mean you know, create the problem you know problem reaction solution problem reaction solution that whole method is linked directly to the deep state manipulation of public perception that's been infiltrated into the media and intentionally spreading misinformation all around the world for decades and of course what goes around comes around one thing leads to another. The intelligence agencies, 
are using these dialectic tactics. They've been around for a couple hundred years. The communists are using these dialectic tactics that have been around for a couple hundred years. The global cabal is using these dialectic tactics, and it kind of seems like maybe, just maybe, we should be using these dialectic tactics too, doesn't it? I don't know. What do you think, you know? And it's a fair question, friends. You know, what do we make of the use of these tactics against us and how can we use them in our own uh, arsenal, so to speak, when pushing back here against the global cabal? And there is a passage. I found an article on the Christian Observer. And it was, it's explaining, you know, what is the Hegelian dialectic and all that kind of stuff. It's a really great article. And I'm just going to share some passage, a couple passages here, read it out because I think it explains it really well. Reading from the Christian Observer, quote, Hegel's dialectic is the tool which manipulates us into a frenzied circular pattern of thought and action. Every time we fight for or defend against an ideology, we are playing a necessary role in Marx and Engels' grand design to advance humanity into a dictatorship of the proletariat. That's the commies taking over the world, by the way. Going on, he says, the synthetic Hegelian solution to all these conflicts cannot be introduced unless we all take a side that advances the agenda. Pause. Now, what he's saying is we have to take, they're planning on everybody taking a side. They pit people against each other. Continuing on. The Marxist globalist agenda is moving along at breakneck speed. The only way to completely stop the privacy invasions, the expanding domestic police powers, the land grabs, the insane wars against inanimate objects and transient verbs, the covert action, actions, the outright assaults on individual liberty. The only way to stop all of this is to step outside the dialectic. This releases us from the limitations of controlled and guided thought. Period. End quote. That's it, friends. Step out of the dialectic. This releases us from the limitations of controlled and guided thought. What does that mean to step out of the dialectic? It means stepping out of the patterns in language and thinking that cause us to bicker and fight against each other which is all being intentionally orchestrated per the dialectic strategies, Marxism, communism, etc. The observer goes on to say, quote, Hegelian conflicts steer every political arena on the planet, from the United Nations to the major American political parties, all the way down to local school boards and community councils. Dialogues and consensus building are primary tools of the dialectic, and terror and intimidation are also acceptable formats for obtaining the goal. No matter what the issue is, the invisible dialectic aims to control both the conflict and the resolution of differences and leads everyone involved into a new cycle of conflicts, period, end quote. I just think that was a great article. I thought it was they very well said. Ultimately, these diametrically opposed and dialectically dissected social issues create the necessary tension and fuel the consecutive crises that give rise to the ultimate solution which is the third way, the agenda for a one-world government. 
And knowing this now, (laughs) as I've learned and I'm sharing with you, you know, the question arises, how can we use these same strategies against those who are actively working in concert to destroy the country we love? I don't know. You know, what are we going to do? Friends, here's what. We're going to have to start paying much, much closer attention to the language, specifically the language that's being used by the useful idiots uh, being adopted by society. Uh, And we need to learn to present diametrically opposed perspectives through a series of antithetical questions. And above all else, we need to keep the conversation going because one thing leads to another. We cannot allow the conversation to it, it uh, collapse into outright conflict. That is, that is only going to serve the purpose of the commie revolution. So I'm sure when I say all of that, you're probably thinking, Luke, you've had too much coffee (laughs) because all at once these suggestions, they sound uh, overly simplistic and simultaneously entirely undoable. How the hell can we talk our way out of this? People don't listen. Luke, what the hell are you talking about? Well, friends, I'm talking about strategy here. I'm talking about long-term thinking. I'm talking about the greatest takeaway from my brief study of Hegelian dialectics is that it is never it is a never ending process. They're never going to give up. They're going to keep shifting the narrative. Every narrative has a counter narrative. And out of the synthesis of these narratives, yet another narrative is born. And this fuels the evolution of understanding. That's the great insight that fuels the evolution of understanding. And it directs that evolution of understanding. While a comic cabal has a firm grip on the global Narrative. I'm no doubt about that. Okay. We're not going to be able to compete with social media, but they cannot compete with the firm grip that we can have on another person's attention during direct conversation. So when you're face to face with somebody, you can grip their attention and use the same tactics to help evolve their understanding. This is where the magic happens. This is where we can use intelligent questions to tease out a higher understanding of what's happening in the world and help people pull their head out of their ass. <laughs> oh, friends, when we step out of the dialectical illusions being cast by the global elite, you know, the, the idea this person is my enemy and I need to defend myself. If we can get out of that, then we can build alliances within our communities because mutual respect is a mutual interest, right? And if we can get people on board with that, then we can begin collaborating to put an end to perpetual conflict and you know, reclaim local control and rest from the hands of the commie cabal. Friends, it may seem like a pie-in-the-sky idea, but I sincerely believe that this is the only method by which we are going to be able to preserve liberty for future generations. I do believe every other strategy will end in failure but we'll have to talk about that more tomorrow friends resist we must that is the message of my heart for today friends if you're enjoying this podcast please take the time to find that little heart and click that little heart and give me some love subscribe if you have not subscribed already and of course the greatest honor of all is to share this podcast with someone share it with anyone share it with everyone you know get out there and embrace this terrific tuesday friends and i will look forward to talking to you again soon 